welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City, for a change. <laughs> we indeed are in PW offices. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publisherswiki.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, uh, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can let us know what you think of this podcast by giving us a rating or leaving us a comment on any of the platforms on which we're carried. And please do, because we love to hear from our listeners. Talk to us. All right. This week on More to Come, Comic-Con stays home, along with the Eisners. <laughs> <laughs> Creators get paid, or at least some of them do. Uh, Frank Miller, Controversy at uh, Thought Bubble in the U.K., French kids love manga. Okay, and much more. Well, Comic Con is coming on, yes, and yes. Uh, yeah, but left a lot of video to linger they on. Did, but um, <laughs> it was it was pretty anticlimactic this year. I mean, didn't see it trending or anything. I mean, you know, last year we were pretty much in a strict lockdown, and I think I mean the views were a lot higher. I think it was a lot more excitement about uh, Comic Con. Even though it was just online, and this year, ah, uh, you know, it happened. Well, it's tough. I yeah. mean, everybody's a little tired of virtual gone. conventions. I mean, in my view, yeah, I know I am. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they aren't, aren't incredibly useful. It doesn't mean that they don't uh, connect with a lot of fans. Some fans. Um, uh, I, you know, I randomly went through. I, I will say this about uh, Comic Con at home, much uh, like the real. World Comic Con, nobody out Comic Cons, Comic Con. No, that's true. Absolutely. You know, yes. if whether you're virtual or not, the programming is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 absurd. It's un. You you, you can't consume it. It's unconsumable. Yeah. You can only you can only hope to see a little bit of it and present yourself as somehow you know. Possibly. Well, there was too much to possibly watch. Yes. I mean, it wasn't, you know, they did it only three days this year, as we mentioned. But, uh, but there were still, like, you know, dozens and dozens of huge, probably, you know, a yeah. hundred panels each day. Yeah. Maybe not a hundred. Yeah. There was, there was a lot. There was quite a few. And there was, you know, there was some entertainment. There was definitely some news. I mean, I, I saw, you know, there were some trailers where Star Trek stuff dropped and, you know, there was nuggets of news here and there. Yeah. It was just a giant fire hose of content. Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, and they did hold the Eisners and, uh, virtually again with Phil Mar, uh, hosting them on Friday night. And they're, you know what I, I like treat them with mistakes as I do every year. Just kind of to, you know, wanted to kind of have the, um, the experience. Yeah, you know, I miss it. I miss I, the pressure. I miss the excitement. I, I will say one more thing about Comic at Home yeah. is that for whatever reason, I just sort of like seeing, you know, David Glanzer, you know, <laughs> in, you yeah. know. His little like cameo appearance, well, it's not a cameo, his appearance, uh, to sort of, they had a little introductory, uh, video from, mm-hmm. you know, various yeah. people, I guess, from CCI, uh, you know, you know, sort of saying, check this out and check this out, mm-hmm. you know, um, don't see David that often anymore. Yeah. So it was good to see him. Uh, uh, as far as the Eisner's, I mean, uh, I mean, I will say this, uh, you know, to quote Phil Lamar, you know, some people think shorter is better. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, uh, it, it's sort of nice that the ISOs are an hour, because mm-hmm. uh, they certainly aren't that in the real world. Um, but look, it's a letdown. It's just not the same. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the winners were kind of pretty much who we expected. I mean, Gene Yang, Gene Lun Yang won like a ton, although there was one category where he did not win. But, uh, Dragon Hoops won, Miss Fashion's The Plan won. Yeah. Uh, the big surprise winner, I'd say, was, not surprise, but popular, was Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen by Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber won a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Dorothy had Rebecca winning Best New Graphic Novel, yes, which he did in 2019 uh, as well. Giant James Tiny the fourth oh. winning for Best Writer. You know, that was the mm-hmm. biggest lock of the whole thing. Um, you know, uh, Crisis Zone by Simon Hanselman won Best Web Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black, uh, say Black Widow. The Best New Series was, um, it was a little bit of a surprise, but it was a popular win, I would say. Uh, is was Black Widow by Kelly Thompson and Elena Casagrande. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit of a surprise the uh, the Department of Truth, I think. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I also I just like to throw a little attention to um, Invisible Men, the Trail, the trail oh, yes. Blazing so Black Artists of Comic Books uh, from Yo Books by Ken Quattro, which one? That's what book related work. Um, uh, and a book that actually I didn't know anything about, but it's an academic book, the the best academic scholarly work, the content of our caricature, mm, yes. African-American uh, uh, comic art and political belonging. And Junji Ito won. Yes. He won Best mm. Writer Artist, uh, mm. which very well deserved. I mean, I think you could make a pretty good argument that Junji Ito's one of the greatest oh, he's one of the comic Absolutely. artists of the, of the world. Um, yeah, yeah sure. so that was that was pleasant. Um, so, yeah. You know, uh, Women Write About Comics won for Best uh, yes, Journalism, absolutely. which is great, as it should. And, um, yeah, and Adrian Tomney for The Loneliness of the Long oh. Distance Cartoonist won a couple. And real quickly, uh, obviously, Dirt Factors can stay, uh, yes. for Dead in Ohio, but that's not fiction work uh, or this reality. Julian Tamaki's Our Little Kitchen mm-hmm. for Best Book for uh, Early Readers. And, uh, MK, uh, Sherwick, Sherwick, uh, maybe I'm mangling her name, even though I did inter- uh, um, uh, interview her at one point. A menopause, a comic treatment uh, from PSU Press. Yes. Um, now, the I will say, I do think the um, letdown of this year's Eisner's, inevitable, and not the fault of anyone, but uh, the Hall of Fame, the winners of the Hall of Fame were the Ruth Atkinson and Dave Cocker both passed away, and then Neil Gaiman and Scott McCloud. You know, having this be virtual was like the biggest bummer of all, because if they... You know, I mean, maybe they'll, I'm sure Scott will be there. Maybe they'll bring him up next year when they do do it in person. But, you know, having Neil Gaiman win the Hall of Fame, enter the Hall of Fame, on a year he can't be there. And the year he can't be there is like, you know, what were you guys thinking? (laughs) What were you thinking? But, you know, maybe this is a year to put somebody who's elderly who wouldn't be able to make it to Comic Con in person anyway. Well, yeah. they did have well, Lily Renee Phillips. Lily Renee Phillips, excuse me. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Um, and shout out to Fresh Woman. Yes. She uh, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, this, this, is, this is a placeholder. And you know what? In case you don't, you may, you might have forgotten, but we're living through a horrible global pandemic, yep. which has really screwed everything up. Yes. So, yep. It screwed up the Eisners in Comic Con yeah, in yeah, 2021, yeah, and yeah. that really sucks. And they did the best they could, and um, you know, there you go. I mean, I listen. I had a panel. I will say, I had the comics journalism panel. I did. Yes, have, yes. You uh, Tiffany, uh, Tiffany Babb, who's a writer. I think I mentioned this last time. And Wendy Brown, one of the publisher, the publisher of Women Write About Comics, and um, you know, there was actually a write up about it on Women Write About Comics. Oh, cool. it yes, a, it was a you know, my little panel. Album. Was good. And then me and Deb Aoki, Bridget Alverson, and Johanna Grape Carlson also did a kind of, you know, four women in a hotel room, uh, which you can find on YouTube on the Comic Speaks channel, mm-hmm. uh, where we just kind of riff about things going on and um, so on. So that's my yeah. plugs. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'll mention now. as far as uh, panels, um, uh, the Beyond Love and Rockets panel where, uh, what's his name, Mike Rowe interviewed Gilbert and Jaime and... Mm-hmm. Uh, very intimate. Uh, I love those two guys. I love their art. I love everything about them. So it's great. <laughs> uh, the global globalization of comics panel. Uh, had a really interesting, great lineup. Uh, friend of the show, Rob Sapowitz was on it. Emil Ferris was on it. Uh, Asif Hanukkah, uh, Ken Nomura, um, uh, uh, the guy that wrote The Honey Accident. I'm forgetting his name. Hmm. Carlson, I believe. Uh, I, I saw. So I looked at some of the um, comics journalism panel, and um, oh, oh, and there were a number of diversity panels that actually I thought were pretty good. Uh, in particular, I think what Afrofuturism, Funk, and the Black Imagination, uh, which had John Jennings and um, a whole bunch of other great people, and 
uh, diversity in comics, <clears throat> excuse me, panel with, uh, uh, with Professor Frederick Luis Aldama, David Walker, uh, that was both, you know, a lot of it was talking about them and how they handled the pandemic, but also was talking about how, uh, marginalized communities also that they feel they serve and that they, and the artists and the fans from those communities really suffered. So there was a great, uh, there was a lot of talk about that. I mean, it was Stanford Carpenter was on it. Uh, uh I thought it was a really good panel. And this is just a, it, this is just a tiny slice mm-hmm. of the amount of stuff that there, I think I watched the Superman panel. Oh, you really did it, Calvin. Well, look, in many cases, I, you know, there's 15 or 20 minutes and then I jump to another (laughs) panel. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to front here. I didn't listen to entirely every panel. You know, I would see people that I wanted to see and I look at that and it's like, oh, that's what you do in real life. You drop in on a panel if you can sometimes. Yeah. You know, for the comics ones tend to not be overbooked, so you can usually can drop in and out. Um, so, now, I, I will say I thought it was interesting that uh, Phil Lombard, uh, the guest host, uh, he did mention that last year's uh, uh, Eisner, video Eisner, you know, had something like 16,000 views uh, in the first four days. And, you know, mm-hmm. the, there's not 16,000 people in that room. No, no so. that's true. <laughs> I'll say this year's had a lot fewer. Yeah. So, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I just think that is, um, you know, it's just, uh, there's a lot more competition right now. Like last year, yeah. we were still very much locked down. You know, restaurants were not open. Um, yes, there's, there's actually somewhere to go on Friday. Yes, there yeah. is. There's things to do. People <laughs> see. But they did listen. They did a, 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 you know, it still was Comic-Con. It had a lot of the Comic-Con Absolutely. things that we love. And they're coming back in November with this show, which um, sounds like this might be like WonderCon. Um, except in San Diego. So if they were going to hold a WonderCon in San Diego, it'll probably be the special edition. And, you know, mm-hmm. don't get too much FOMO. So that's, yeah. um, yeah. yeah. Now, turning to, speaking of the Eisner Awards, the Harvey Award nominations were announced, which I guess they're going to be given out at New York Comic Con, which, boy, oh boy, uh, right. which, you know. As far as we know, is going to be in person. Know, huh? It's going to happen. Uh, you know, they only have like six, categories, but they had about 50 nominees, because I guess there was a lot. I'm just going to read the Book of the Year nominees. They're kind of who you might think would be, but uh, The Book Tour by Andy Watson, mm-hmm. Cyclopedia Exotica by Aminder Dalawal, Department of Truth, Volume 1 by Dave Tiny and Martin Simmons, uh, Heaven No Hell by Michael DeForge, Kent State by Dirk Factor, The Magic Fish by Tron Lee Nguyen, uh, Monsters by Barry Windsor Smith, uh, Stone Fruit by Lee Lai, Weekly, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, who killed Jimmy Olsen by Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, and Save It for Later, Promises, Protest, and Parenthood by Nate Powell. So, you know what? It's a great list of Yes. Yeah. So, more to come. Yeah, more to come. Yeah, and more to come at New York Comic Con. So, we'll leave our speculation on that talk next time. There you go. All right. Okay. Creators get paid. Or do they? Uh, right. Well, the big news this week was Scott Snyder, who came out on Monday announcing a uh, major deal, very major. Uh, a very, very major deal uh, with Comixology, mm-hmm. which that was the big surprise, um, that he is announced that he has a whole slate of books uh, eight titles. Uh, his, he, he announced his best jacket press. He has his own little imprint. They, mm-hmm. they, they kickstarted this book, Noctera, came out of Image, made like, you know, quite $218,000. Yeah, so it did quite well. But, um, uh, so, you know, kickstarters are a lot of work. Maybe. So, I know they talked about how they, he did, when he had the slate of you know, it's by artists, uh, his collaborators are, are, Top notch. Yeah. Uh, Ralphia Albuquerque, Greg Capullo, Francesco Francovia, Jamal Eigel, Jock. To, uh, I think there's two Alote. Calvin didn't list all the artists. I didn't put them. No, because he doesn't Sorry. do that. Uh, so I wish I could find another story, Calvin. But um, anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. I understand. But, but if I don't cut it out, Jim will. <laughs> so you know, there you go. Yeah, cut out the facts about the story. Well, it's not yeah. Calvin's fault. So we'll put it like up. Yeah. To the beat. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can go there and get the full list. Well, there we go. Yes, we listed all the artists. Yeah. Rebecca Polo, Ralph Albert, You put all the jackets Rick in, Jessica, too. Frank Avia, yeah. Jamal Eigel, Jock, Tula Lote, Dan Panosian, and Francis Mample. Uh, and all sorts of books. I mean, they just sound great. 
Um, but you know, he's getting paid up front. Uh, his collaborator is getting paid up front and they will come out digitally did. from Comixology and then at some date in print from Dark Horse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious if Dark Horse is going to, uh, release him as original graphic novels or is this going to be, are these going to be books? But you see, he, he, talk, he talks about this a lot because he did quite a few interviews, including a pretty extensive one at the beat where he mentions that, um, that one of the reasons he did it with Comixology was because they want to do different formats. So mm. some of them might be periodical, mm. but some of them will be graphic novels. And, you know, you had mentioned that at uh, Comic-Con at Home there was a Burger Books panel, and Carol oh, Berger right. said pretty much the same thing. It's like, we're going to do graphic novels. We're not going to mess with those periodicals anymore. So um, kind of makes sense. It Nothing makes, against periodicals. It makes but, a billion percent But sense. it's... Kind of the way of the world. You know, <laughs> it is. And, uh, you know, James Tiny is having a lot of success yeah. with his um, periodical comics. Don't you agree, Kate? Well, I mean, he certainly won the Eisner to prove it. But the fact is that it really depends on the type of book you read or the type of book you write, how successful things are going to be in periodical versus graphic novel. Yeah. And Burger Books is... Basically, I'm sorry, but it's true. Vertigo Take Two, which is a fine, wonderful yes. thing for it to be. Yeah. Um, but Vertigo really always was better suited to the graphic novel format than, you know, just random floppies. Yeah. I, I always describe Vertigo as a precursor to, to this, mm-hmm. the age we are in now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the reason why I bring up James Tiny is because he has had a lot of success with his books, which are horror books. You know, something mm-hmm. is called The Children, The Department of Truth, mm-hmm. which is kind of a conspiracy book, and the one from DC, The House on the Lake, which I don't know if you've read that. The book is great, okay? Yeah, like, I read the first issue, and I'm like, I guess I need to go to the comic shop and buy this because DC doesn't send me comics anymore. Um, but he, his books are pe- serialized. They're, I would, you know, we're going to talk about periodicals. Let's point out that they're serializing them because they're suspenseful stories yeah. and, um, you know, that's a good way people want to read it. It's like, look at Apple TV and Ted Lasso, you know, people aren't binging things. Disney is, is doing, Disney Plus is doing the same thing with the Marvel shows, you know, they are doing them one episode a week yeah. because, and then I was talking about this, I was on vacation for Comic-Con, uh, I was talking about my stepfather, he's like, why are they doing that? I like to binge. And I'm like, they get eight weeks of her promotion and publicity and not just one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are other models which are also playing upon the serialized possibilities of the medium, um, such as, as we were speaking about last week, mobile comics, Mm, and to a lesser extent, comiXology, although frankly it's not as well suited to that. Um, But right now... You know, you have to look at the type of story and the type of audience to see whether something is suited to serialization or will do better in a chunk. Yeah. Well, Snyder Ward talked about this quite a bit in his interview. Um, he says, I hope this, what this field does is show the ways the digital print don't need to be competitive. But on top of that, it also emphasizes the ways in which right now it's a moment of creator empowerment. I love the big two. I love DC. I love Marvel. But with so much interest from streaming and so many platforms looking for IP... It's important to be able to protect the ownership of your properties by going out there and finding places that are going to allow you to do that. And, you know, some of the other, I mean, he did a lot of press for this, obviously. He's very well organized. And um, he does mention that Amazon has a very brief um, first look deal on this. And, uh, but it's not, but they can shop them anyway, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, Amazon has like the most fleeting of first look deals. And I mean, you know, this deal wasn't made by Amazon. It was made by Comixology. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously complete backing. They do their own thing there from what I can see. Um, yeah, all, all of that's true. Um, including, uh, I assume, I mean, Snyder has been kind of publishing independently outside of his DC stuff sent, you know, for with the image mm-hmm. for yeah. for a couple of years now. Uh, I assume um, there's all kind of media deals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is a little bit. Rough. I mean, they did get 
uh, page rates. You know, everybody got a good rate from Amazon, and uh, and Amazon doesn't own anything. So this is a a freaking fantastic deal. Yeah, my hope is that this will presage similar deals for other major creators or up and coming creators because. Okay, Heidi's been gesturing at me like, Kate, Kate, why aren't you enthusing about this? And listeners, I, I didn't want to be a party pooper. I don't actually like Scott Snyder's work. But that's fine. You know, you, I don't, I, I haven't read all of his yeah, work. I I, read, that's fine. I haven't read most of it. Yeah, I haven't read most of it. You know, I mean, but, we're talking about business, not yeah. about... This know. is impact on the industry. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's yeah, I think it's a very good deal. Yeah. And I think that it, it hopefully will be the first of many. Yeah. Well, there's a but. You know, he's at a place in his career where this deal makes sense. Well, he's yes, obviously. A lot of comics. You know, I mean, we mentioned James Tiny and really is the hottest writer going right now. Now, there's a yeah. lot of other sub stories to this. So, hmm. uh, to mention one that came out, you, you know, this is a little bit of, like, I think a lot of people thought Snyder's going to take Best Jacket to Image. So, there's a little bit of maybe some huh there about it not going to Image, but it looks like Amazon offered a better deal. Um, but Image did announce that they were doing a digital re-release of, with Comixology, of a lot of Kurt Busiek's backlist that is available, including Astro City. which Especially is, Astro right, City. Especially Astro City, which has been started at Image, I think it's, I, I can't even remember how many publishers it's been at, but it's been at quite a few. Uh, mm-hmm. including DC, but DC owns it. And the other books, uh, like one is called Aerosmith, and there's some that I didn't even remember, but, uh, they all started as, uh, this, or several of them started as part of this, uh, creator-owned imprint at Image called Gorilla way back in the day, back in the 90s. It was kind of a, uh, take that to the original Image founders, but it was more writers. It was, uh, it was Music and Mark Wade and some other people who did this, but it didn't go very far. Uh, anyway. Yeah. But IP sitting around. Right. But this also shows how you can capitalize on that IP sitting around. Because the thing is that, as you have sort of alluded to by mentioning all the publishers, Astro City is one of those many classic comics long runners that's hard to get in one place in any affordable form. Um, and that, that kind of thing is well suited to digital. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was a lot of hinting around that, uh, he, you know, Astro City's coming back. There's been a lot of hints that Saga's coming back actually this week. Um, you know, but anyway, music owned his IP, putting it in a package, coming out and doing more, creator, owner, Owning their stuff is good. Now, the other thing was that story in the Hollywood Reporter. Did you guys see that? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, yep. Talk about getting paid or not paid. Or getting again. paid a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, some people are getting paid for sure. Uh, some people don't think they're going to get paid enough. Some people seem to think they don't care about the pay. They just want to see their name. Yeah. And some up people, on the big screen, which I find really. Yeah. <laughs> and some people seem to think that, uh, they should just take what they're given and be grateful. Yeah, well, the basic, you Which know, I don't agree with. The kickoff for this was, uh, again, the Ed Brubaker story. And uh, they did link to the version of it that was on the beat because, you know, we we framed it the right way. <laughs> uh, where he mentioned that he had made more money in his SAG residuals than he had for creating the Winter Soldier. And uh, this was, uh, you know, this was saying out loud. Oh, yeah. people. And then you have someone like Tom Hossie Coates. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, like, a, you know, is this how comics people get paid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, it is. It is. That's exactly And um, there was a, uh, you know, just people talking about how some people uh, don't even get their, uh, their right payment. It's like... Um, there was a kind of, this is a little blind item in there. Uh, Kitar learned of an instance in which the co-creator of an A-list DC character secretly maneuvered behind the scenes to have themselves listed as the sole creator on paper with regard to merchandise or adaptations, cutting their partner out of payments. I mean, that's pretty According amazing. to a knowledgeable source, the other co-creator only learned of this maneuvering years later when a Warner Brothers theatrical employee noticed the discrepancy ahead of the release of a movie featuring the character. Was the this the Batman thing? Nope. Well, the, the wrong co-creator now receives payments. The set could not be on friendly terms. Their former collaborator. Actually, oh. Heidi, could you put some context on this? What What do these companies owe creators who come up with characters? Say, 
or, or revised characters. So nowadays, uh, when you create a character, you sign a equity agreement, which uh, it's, it's pretty much that if it is used for a toy or a movie or something, you're going to get a little bit of money. But it's just a little bit of money. You know? But it's better than no money. And, you know, Starlin is quoted in here. You know, don't you guys, don't you want to know who it was, though? Yes. <laughs> I I can't really say, but maybe... It was, they said it was an A-list character who was going to be in a movie. So maybe, uh, there was a baseball bat. Uh, ho, ho. Yeah. So, cause that fits all the criteria. Uh, you never see Paul D. Yeah. And Bruce Tim at a party together. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, mentioning what movie it might be could be career suicide. Yes, that's right. You know, it would take a whole squad to carry all the money. You guys are good at this. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, all, uh, yeah. uh, just sidelight, like when this flying game came out, like so many people were like, oh, it's so-and-so, it's so-and-so, like, like they're know-it-alls. And then like, it wasn't. Okay. So take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I have it on pretty good authority that might hmm. be Heidi um, always knows all but, the scoops. Uh, but I will say, you know, it's a, it's a contest. You know, Jim Starlin talks about it a lot. Uh, we've mentioned his situation on this podcast many times over the years. Uh, but, you know, he created uh, the character of Thanos uh, in high school. He has the notebooks to prove it. Um, he also created the character Adam Warlock. He co-created Shang-Chi. He's coming out in a movie. But uh, I think he created Gamora as well. Uh, co-create Gamora. So he had pretty strong that, uh, ownership rights over these characters, but especially Thanos, who was the big bad in, mm. you know, about 20 movies. Yep. And so he, uh, you know, he made some noise. And, yeah. and the article, the THR article calls it Shut Up Money. And I've actually called it that myself because, you know, they just don't want the this fronter, older creator shaking mm. his tiny fist or her tiny fist mm-hmm. at the panel and making it a big a big bummer. And you know what? Up until now, it was pretty cheap to buy them off. But they're beginning to realize, as uh, Brubaker does, that yeah. there's billions of dollars at stake here. And yeah. they should probably get a little bit I mean, more. When you think about <laughs> the character that we're talking about with Brubaker, it's hard to imagine how he doesn't deserve something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, this character's going to be amazing. Yeah, they, did, they, they did the math. And they said that films involving Starlin's character uh, went on to gross a total of four point eight three billion dollars yeah. in total. Yeah. So, you know. so yeah, they could so, sp- they could spare they could spare a little pocket change, a million here, a million there. Yeah, and you know, Starlin had a cameo in Endgame, uh, their biggest movie of all time. So he probably gets some pretty good, yes, speaking role, so oh, he's going to get those residual, SAG yeah. residuals uh. as well. Um, you know, I saw John Ostrander has a little line in the Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad. So, you know, like some of these, the movie creators are giving the, the movie makers are giving the creators better payouts than the, the well, you know, for their little The rights cameos. department. Yeah. Um, well, you know, in an aside of, uh, just to jump back to this Snyder's deal, um, and this this isn't about money or anything, but it is. I am curious. I mean, this is a guy who you know uh, he, he's one of the major superhero comics writers, um, and he's not writing superheroes yeah. uh, in these eight books that are coming out. And I assume there's going to be more series to come. Yeah. Um, you know, he's doing you know all kinds of genres. He's doing horror. He's doing you know adventure. He's doing um, a time travel story. So. You know, post post apocalyptic science fiction, you know, teen adventures. So, um, he, he, you know, he has control and it's also enabled him to, I guess what he sees is to test his chops. I mean, he started his career as a kind of a literary fiction writer, mm-hmm. if I'm That's not right. mistaken. That's right. yeah. Uh, before he, you know, ended up, uh, you know, blowing up as a superhero comics writer. Right. But let's, let's also be realistic here. Superhero characters, unless you get very, very lucky and hit it just right, no matter how good a creator you are, superhero characters are harder to sell if they don't have a big two name on the cover. True. 
Uh, no, it can be done. Yeah, it I, can I, be done. I would say, yeah, I, I'd say, but, but it's hard. Uh, uh, it's hard, but if you look at, I mean, the boys is a huge success, right? You know? but, but it's also kind of a takeoff on the beginning. right. So the ones, so the ones, it's kind of the yeah. exception that proves a rule. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it can't happen for sure. No, yeah, but it's it's tough. It's tough. It's yeah. it's easier to sell a different genre. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Um, so that would that would be my guess. Yeah, because but, I mean. For every The Boys or Invincible, there are countless would-be superhero universes with wonderful writers and creators in it that have vanished into the mist. Yeah, but 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 yes, they've vanished, and it's becoming increasingly less common for people to try to launch their own superhero universe. Now, there's this NFT publisher that is doing it and uh, the emergence they're called and you know they're trying and they have some NFT money behind them so you know good luck you're trying to get people you know they have some top creators on there so um, <laughs> you know that you will attract that will, in comics. yeah uh, <laughs> that will no they have some top people you know yeah yeah no, it's, the good it's it's great some people that, but yeah. um yeah it's a, it's a hard sell but I mean we look the number one movie last weekend was or uh, two weekends ago I'm a little lost in time here uh, was old, yes. which is a um, uh, based on a French graphic novel, Sandcastle, mm-hmm. published in English by Self New Hero, yeah, and uh, it, apparently M Night Shyamalan's kids got it for him and said, "Hey, Dad, we think you'd like this." He read it. And he's like, "I like it. I'm going to make a movie." So they there you go. pretty easy. But yeah, you know the IP. There is a desperate need for IP right now, and yeah. creators are jumping in. I, I will say, during this week. During after the shut up money story came out on Twitter, there were constant ebbs and flows and eddies and pools of discussion about rates. And you know, there was some creators kind of got called out. Uh, Rick Reminder got called out for cutting out one of his contributors after he got sick, but then other people came and said Rick Reminder is awesome. And um, you know, there's a lot of different deals out there right now, and uh, creators who have name brand awareness. Mm-hmm. Are are yep. taking advantage of it as well. They should, as they should. Um, but you know, for one manga creator, their concerns are are even a little different, right, Kate? Yes, absolutely. So, following up on a story that we covered um, earlier this year, um, the creator of Jujutsu Kaisen, one of the absolute biggest titles of the past year and a half, um, went on hiatus. So, it debuted in um, March 2018, but we really started to hear about it, I would say, last year. Um, And so, it is, according to Weekly Shonen Jump, it's coming back. But this is interesting, because you see, the creator, Gege Akatami, a relatively young man, um, said about a month and a half ago, that he was going to have to uh, go on hiatus for an indefinite period of time for unspecified health reasons and said that he had in fact been encouraged to do so by his editors, which is very unusual in the manga department. Usually when there's a hiatus, somebody is dying or somebody has been in the industry for 30 years and is completely burned out for a young creator at the height of his powers, the beginning of his smash hit series to take an indefinite hiatus is unusual and is good if it's necessary. Um, He's been a little cagey about what it is saying. My mental powers are fine, (laughs) but that, that leaves a lot of other things open. So we were glad to see him back. We hope he gets better, and may the manga industry learn from this. Yeah, because it's a, a an industry that's just known for crushing. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. little schedules. Uh, I mean, it's a little really? you know, kind of interesting, just with the Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. Yeah, yeah, it's on, actually you know? plugs into all the things. Yeah, really it plugs in because people are being a little bit more realistic about their mental health, and uh, the manga industry they really. I mean, I mean, in some ways, yeah. I do think this pandemic has just made us all look closer at our lives, at every aspect of it. Absolutely. Uh, our industries, everything. It has speeded up the worst and the best uh, 
stuff about everything that that is going on around us. Um, uh, and certainly what, what's happening in uh, pro- professional sports, mm-hmm. as well as in the professional comic book industry, is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, just as a uh, little follow-up here to some of this, um, I will say, just to give you another idea of why people are um, speaking up for their piece of pie, uh, Diamond released its first sales chart since, like, October. Um, obviously, it doesn't have DC in it, and soon it won't have Marvel, because Marvel's going to Penguin Random House. But uh, they did one, and uh, that's kind of the usual books were number one. Venom 35, which was also the 200th issue, and also the last issue of Donny Cates and Ryan Segman's run. It's also a 9.99 book, so uh, I, I haven't seen it. Though. It sounds like it was pretty hefty. Anyway, that was the number one uh, periodical, and the latest volume of something that's coming to children was the top graphic novel. But John Jackson Miller did a little back the envelope uh, analysis. He says, our order into the backs, we estimate the top 400 sold 6.4 million comics worth $30 million. That's huge. It sold only 6.8 million copies of all comics in June 2019, and that mm. included DC. Um, this tracks with what I wrote, the preliminary June report, we could well be seeing over a $60 million month in the direct market when DC and the full graphic novelist is included. A first for the post early 90s, a first for the post early 90s boom era. So this, you know, we're back to, obviously inflation is part of it, but we are back to some of the numbers that we had during the, the, the boom period of the 90s. And that's pretty mm-hmm. incredible. And then yeah. Miller says, it's clear why publishers wanted Dynas charts to return. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess uh, well, publishers have been clamoring because they want people to see what's selling. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody well, wants to, to show off their success, mm-hmm. and why shouldn't they? Well, uh, I think uh, one of our lead stories at PW, <clears throat> the PW Daily, was that reading in general... Mm-hmm. Uh, rose uh, a hugely uh, significant number over the last year. Uh, this, once again, this pandemic has generated some interesting phenomenon on the other end. Yeah. Uh, uh, anything, books of all kinds, prose, comics, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are selling stuff like nobody's business. Yeah. So, and so, speaking of the pandemic getting people to read, um, Culture Pass, not, not New York City's Culture Pass, but France's Culture Pass app, a app issued during the pandemic, two young people giving them 300 euros to spend upon <laughs> cultural products. So then that could be, that could be play tickets, although I suppose that's hard in a pandemic. That, that could be art, that could be anything seen as, as cultural. Um, was made available. And the funny thing is, it wasn't French culture. They were consuming. <laughs> so, um, they didn't go to the Louvre? Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure some of them did. But, um, manga. Manga is the seller. So. Is that the French pronunciation? I do not know. <laughs> um. Le manga. Yeah. So, thing is that apparently the biggest seller is books. And amongst books, the biggest seller is buy manga. So 75% of all purchases, so that's a huge percentage of the things on this Culture Pass app, um, and these quote-unquote free purchases for France's youth, were books. And of those books, approximately two-thirds of those are manga. Wow. So this must have been an enormous boost to the French oh, translation magazine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're giving money to the demographic that every producer of anything wants. Yeah. Now, 
I mean, it's true that this money cannot be spent at the moment at many concerts or plays because pandemic, but you could use Culture Pass to, for example, buy uh, records, digital or physical art supplies, um, musical instruments, uh, movies, mm-hmm. but it's books and manga. Yeah, well. And I, I think that's a very good sign for the comics industry. Word up. Um, and, and on that note, um, I just want to give a quick mention uh, to people to take a look uh, at uh, publishwithwiki.com slash comics. We have an interview there with uh, Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez, the creator of La Borinquina, uh, the Puerto Rican uh, superhero, female superhero. Uh, you've probably heard about it before. We did an interview with him. I should say Bridget Alverson uh, did an interview with him and just look back over uh, the creation of the character, how it came about, excuse me, and what uh, uh, Miranda Rodriguez is doing in, in terms of using this character. I mean, it really was spurred by uh, uh, the natural disasters in Puerto Rico, uh, the impact of uh, uh, COVID on the island, uh, uh, like the national debt that the, that the island nation and uh, uh, full of fellow American citizens uh, is facing. And, um, and he's raised an enormous amount of money with this character, both to do PPE, to deliver back to the island, and other things. So it's a combination, uh, you know, uh, it's a fictional character meant to entertain, but it's also meant to address the, the crises that uh, Puerto Rico faces, uh, to instill Puerto Rican pride, uh, and, and to uh, also to address the issues of self-determination. So uh, check it out. It's a Q&A at publishesweekly.com slash comics. Thank you. So for once... We seem to have some time. We do, but we haven't mentioned the controversy of the week. Oh, oh that's oh, right. Oh, oh. I, I spoke too soon. Yeah. So now we have time to dig deep into this controversy. Yes. Um, yeah. So short uh, Thought Bubble is kind of the SPX CCAF of England. It's held in Leeds every year. And uh, everybody loves it. I've been I was supposed to go last year, 2020, but obviously I did not. There was no Thought Bubble. But they are holding it this year in person. Uh, let's see, they've been, they usually have a pretty wide-ranging guest list that includes mainstream creators. I know Mike Mignola was a guest there one year, um, I think, um, Noel Stevenson was a guest. So they announced this year, about eight weeks ago, that Frank Miller was going to be a guest. Mm. And this did not see, sit well with some people, and there was some talk behind the scenes because... Uh, you know, Miller's work is controversial, and especially Holy Terror, which is a really, totally Islamophobic, uh, piece of work that really, sh- you know, DC wouldn't publish it, and you know what, it probably never should have been published. It's a bit of a stain. I mean, I know Miller's work is problematic in many ways, but this is just really over the line. Um, so Zana Bakhtar, uh, who is a proud Muslim woman, uh, and the publisher of Shortbox, she complained about Bubble. And they did nothing about it. And so she went public and said that she was not going to attend Thought Bubble because Miller was a guest. And of course, after this, so many other people also stood up for her because she is really loved in the community. And obviously, people did not think that Frank Miller was the kind of guest that a show like Thought Bubble should have. And finally, after a couple days, they were like, okay, he's not coming. And then, but... You know, first off, the person who announced it got tons of negative comments mm. on it. You know, and also, Zainab had to expose herself to yet more Whoa. online abuse. Uh, yeah, just saying, come, come harass me, gamer yeah. gamer. Yeah, so they really let her down. And, um, you know, it was just, I mean, I get it. Uh, Frank Miller is a, a big guest. He would draw a lot of people. But um, it was not worth it. And, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, there has been some talk that Frank Miller went through a rough time and might not write such a thing anymore, but he hasn't really come forward and, uh, shown a change of heart in a way that the general public mm-hmm. has any access to. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah. no, he can't has, I don't break his mind. Yeah, I mean, he talked about in interviews where he said he wouldn't do the book now, but mm-hmm. as Kate said, it was hardly the 
longing, repudiation, and apology that a work like Holy Terror requires. Uh, you know, he's been a guest at quite a few cons. Uh, he's had a lot of health issues, and it was a long time. But he did not go to shows for quite a while. But now um, he is healthy enough to go. There has never been this kind of an outcry, at least publicly. But you know what? Thought Bubble is very much a show that is part of the community. Mm-hmm. And as I've learned the hard way, when you're part of the community, you have to be held to a higher standard. True. Yeah. And I think it's not just part of the community, although that is important. It's that I think fans and creators and publishers look at conventions that are seen as more artistic or forward-thinking as a community town square, whereas they look at a more mainstream um Megacon of the New York Comic Con or San Diego variety as a commercial enterprise. Absolutely. And so something that no one would comment upon at maybe San Diego other than I don't want to be on a panel with this person becomes much more emotionally fraught somewhere like Thought Bubble. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, they did the right thing finally, but, uh, you know, they handled it very poorly. And, uh, you know, like some, like, like at first I was like, oh, why wasn't this handled internally? And I was like, oh, they tried to, Zaynab tried to handle it internally and that yeah. did not happen. And that did not work yeah. out. So now everybody looks bad and, um, you know, you need to, <laughs> yeah, I hope that, I hope that Zaynab is able to attend, um, Next year, I know she loved the show. Uh, when I I had breakfast with her and Steve Morris at, at TCAP a couple mm-hmm. years ago, and she be, she told me to come to Thought Bubble. She said I would enjoy it so much. She loved that show, and it's really sad to see yeah. her uh, thrown under the bus like that. You know, and she's a great editor, and uh, you mm-hmm. know, Short Fox is actually ending, but I, I'm sure Zayn will go on to do really great things because uh, she's one of the mm-hmm. the best uh, editor publishers out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, sometimes. But but Kate is right. My God, we actually here in person, we're so succinct. We have so much time. What did you want to talk about, Kate? Well, I thought we might talk about the other controversy. Oh, um, comics adjacent. Oh, about comics movies or a specific comics movie. Yeah. Oh, a specific well, yes. Well, today, as we're recording this, woo, the, the horse. Crap has hit the fan. But, uh, you know, we have barely talked about, like, so many, like, every once in a while, we used to have a show, well, when we went to the movies, we would have a show where we talked about going to the movies or watching a TV show. We haven't done that. We haven't talked about Loki. We haven't talked no. about Black Widow. Now, mm-hmm. I've seen The Suicide Squad. I'll say this, I love The Suicide Squad. Well, I've seen I can't wait. Of it. Yeah. It's so good. I've heard I some loved it. Um, love James Gunn. He's my new hero. Um, you will love uh, Ratcatcher too, and um, but yeah, Black Widow. Now, did any who's seen Black Widow? Not me yet. Not yet. Not me yet I because uh, my parents have asked me to wait in order to see it at a drive-in with them. <laughs> so we'll see whether that materializes. Because I thought maybe it would be a good movie to see on the big screen. You, I, I, you know what? I'll say this: Suicide, The Suicide Squad. Although it's R-rated and a little horror, so you might not like it was actually filmed at IMAX, and I saw it on an IMAX theater. Yeah. And you know what? Warner Brothers movies look a lot better than Marvel movies because they don't use the same um, second unit. That mm. all, all Marvel movies use the same second unit, so they all all the action looks like. I'll say Black Widow. The ending is just another everything's falling on fire in the sky, falling, people are jumping and fighting. So, I say Suicide Squad's a lot more inventive. Well, I've I mean, heard some good things about that. You know, I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. I can't uh, wait to see it again. Well, yeah. I, I want to see it, but uh, I'm not going to take my parents to, to Suicide no. Squad. So. No, you're probably a good idea. So, you know. Um, but in any event, Scarlett Johansson has waited a very, very long time for her Marvel movie. Um, she was pretty much the only main Avenger from the first Avengers movie whose character had not 
gotten a movie for the longest time. There were more movies about men named Chris. <laughs> yeah. A lot more movies about men named Chris than there were uh, movies about women in the Marvel Universe. And so, finally, finally, Black Widow, the movie, was going to come out after her character died, even, but, but finally. And then, well, not only COVID, but contractual disaster. Well, I'll say this. This is a huge conversation because both Absolutely. Disney and Warner Brothers have been struggling about how to release their movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about how, like, at Warner Brothers, they had the bright idea to release it in theaters and on HBO Max at the same time, and Hollywood Purdue agents went nuts over that because they knew they wouldn't get their back end that they had been planning. Right, and especially because, and this will become relevant when it comes to Scarlett Johansson in a moment, because renegotiation did not occur in most cases. It did with Wonder Woman, but with most other movies, um, directors woke up one morning and uh, found out that they were on HBO Max, whether they liked it or not. No renegotiation, nothing. Too bad for you. Well, apparently, this happened to Scarlett Johansson with Black Widow. Um, her deal for her starring movie had been set to give her a chunk of the back end. Now, this is very common with stars in movies that may or may not become blockbusters. That way, if it's a mega hit, they get a chunk of the change. But it didn't come out as a theatrical release alone. It went to Disney Plus. Well, Disney Plus premiere, I just want to point out. Disney Plus premiere, right? There's... There's a little extra money involved, but still. And the contract did not get renegotiated. And Disney just kind of went, here you go. And according to the Hollywood Reporter article, um, Scarlett Johansson's management attempted to uh, negotiate with Disney and got radio silence on the subject. So... Now there's a lawsuit. Yeah, well, yes. And Scarlett Johansson is suing because now, and what she kind of got them over a barrel is that uh, the, Black Widow was the biggest opening of COVID era, but it still only has made $300 million, mm-hmm. which, you know, a normal MCU movies like $800 Yeah, so, so that's a lot less. And the, to boost the first weekend's take, they did slip. slip. That it had made sixty million dollars in extra Disney premiere subscriptions, and so what she has a pretty good case is that she's not getting any of the money from those Disney premiere. I'm just going to read you some of the headlines because I'll tell you this is huge. Okay, yes. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's Disney lawsuit could shape the future of talent compensation, says IndieWire. Um, why Scott Johansson might have a good case against Disney, says the rap. And then here's our, already, here we go. This is, uh, Disney blasts yeah. Scarlett Johansson. I guess she's um, stuck in nerves. So she had, they have fired mm-hmm. back, uh, saying that she, there's no merit whatsoever to find the bus, especially sad and distressing because yeah. ignores COVID. Uh, she got, they're saying she got paid $20 million. So why does she want more money? But, um, you know, that's not the point. Because everybody in Hollywood wants more money. Because <laughs> that's not the contract. Yeah. You know, you, you can't just say, we, major megacorp with more money than God, don't feel like following the contract we signed with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you should feel bad for us because there was a pandemic. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just say, well, I don't feel like spending on this dinner. I think I will pay you $15. You should be grateful for $15 because the ingredients only cost $10. It doesn't doesn't work like that. Well, according to the lawsuit, uh, so uh, it cites a response from Marvel's chief counsel, which stated Black Widow would be released like other films in the MCU, meaning it would have a theatrical run before going to the home video market. 
uh, we, quote, we understand that should the plan change, we would need to discuss this with you and come to an understanding as the deal is based on a very large series of box office bonuses. So they knew. They knew. Yeah. Yeah, they knew. And look, it is tough. But, uh, you know, Warner Brothers made a deal with uh, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins because they want to make another Wonder Woman movie. So they needed a happy, you know, shut up money. Uh, like you said earlier, uh, you, you know, I saw Scarlett Johansson doing some of the press for this movie. She looks so uninteresting. So, uh, barely there. And now, and now we know, we know why. why. Now yeah. we know why. Plus she was pregnant. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, so, so many other things going on in her life. She had no time for Black Widow and she was getting cheated. So, yeah, this is huge. And because it also, you know, the MCU has been one big happy family pretty much ever since Kevin Feige took over from Mike Crowbutter. And mm-hmm. now, uh, Crack. Well, it's interesting that they made that crack about her and ignoring COVID when, uh, uh, I think the response is that, well, they're using COVID to say to to you to stream everything, so who's hiding behind what? Yeah. And this is, you know, the fate of entertainment, really, because all the movies that have opened have had a huge drop off in the second week. Uh, so, you know, they're pointing to the ones on HBO Max and Disney Plus that are on Disney, or the Disney ones that are on Disney Plus premiere. However, F9, the latest Fast and Furious movie, did not have any streaming component, and it also collapsed in the second week. So, you know, I just don't think people want to particularly go to movie theaters. I mean, I do. I would. I just yeah. don't like watching movies at home. I love Me movie either. theater, and they're empty, so I don't feel unsafe if I wear a mask. Well, that's but, a good. You know, that's a good point. I mean, what? I, I mean, I'm. I'm ready. I would like to go back to the theater, but you know, my. My feet just won't go. Yeah. Uh, but if you, you, it's a good point that they're probably pretty empty. <laughs> and you know, if you pick the right time of day, I guess. And the day, you're not going <laughs> to. And why not? So yeah. that's something to think about. And it's listeners, just, may I endorse drive-ins? Oh. Also, if you live in New York, there's going to be a bunch of free rooftop movies coming up soon. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. right. You yeah. know, uh, that I'm surprised that there, there haven't been, I'm surprised drive-ins didn't uh, make a big resurgence, but this is the big question. The big question is, unfortunately, do movie theaters, drive-ins, IMAX, do they really even have a future? Um, or is streaming? Is everybody just going to watch everything at home? But I, I hope not. I really hope I, not. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that I projection that movies are, are going to go away. I'm, I'm not ready to, to say that. Nah. Um, we'll see. It might take a while for this for this industry to come back, for this way of consuming yeah. media to yeah. come back. But I, I can't believe it's going away forever. No. Do, will certain movie theater chains perhaps crash and burn? Yeah. Have some might. Yeah. But, you know, there are a lot of independent theaters. There are a lot of local developers who would be happy to snap up a uh, delicious multiplex if it became available in a, in a good market. So I, I think we're going to see the theaters. But the thing is that also if Scarlett Johansson is getting screwed. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is not alone in getting screwed. No, no. Because she may be a big name, and some people may say, oh, who feels bad for this poor millionaire who makes questionable casting decisions? <sighs> who cares, Scarlett Johansson? Team nobody. But the fact is that she's the canary in the coal mine. Scarlett Johansson a major star who admittedly will not be in the MCU anymore, but certainly could star in any number of other movies funded by Disney, mm. is getting screwed, then other people are getting screwed. Yeah, well, that's why everybody in Hollywood just could not believe this. Yes. Um, and it is, it is a huge thing for this whole streaming era. Yeah, and I would have been shocked, and I would have said that I thought Disney was smarter than this, except for how... As we mentioned earlier this year, um, it came out that Disney had uh, decided not to pay any of the authors of the um, books whose copyright they had inherited when they bought Star Wars. Um, and so Alan Dean Foster and many, many other Star Wars authors got zero dollars in royalty and Disney made the creative argument that, oh, we didn't buy the obligation to pay you when we bought the copyright to your book. Yeah. So a startling um, 
Yeah, it doesn't. Gymnastic logic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Disney may have man-eating lawyers, but this is, this is just dumb and self-destructive. Well, they, listen, they, but it is literally shut up movie for, shut up money for Disney because they just, they want to keep the illusion of the world's happiest place. Right. So they should be paying the shut up money. Yeah. Yeah. Which they are not, right. which and is what well, shocks they, me. They were. They learn what needs to be paid for certain people to shut up. And then, you know, somebody else comes along and, uh, they have, they learn that they must pay more shut up money. So, uh, hopefully there will be more shut up money paid to, to, you know, listen, is Scott Johansson rich? Yes, she is. But you know what? A deal's a deal. A deal's a deal. A deal is a deal. That's and a fair thing to do. They literally, they, they, you know, they yeah. are dirty. I can't wait, wait to read the, the, uh, the, the analysis of this because it is, um, it has brought Hollywood and the MCU. So on that note? On that note, I guess that's it. We've covered all the news for this time. Um, it's fun to be back in person. Yeah, remember indeed. to leave us a note, uh, give us some ratings. If you like, yeah. do you like us in person? We sound better. Which do you like? Listeners. And, and also, um, if you have any complaints about certain sound quality, um, do let us know because our sound equipment is getting a little elderly. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe this will help us convince our corporate masters to buy us new headphones. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but on that note, I guess uh, until next time, there will be more to come.